Book One, Part Eight of Herodotus Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. Histories, Volume One, by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, translated by A. D. Godley. Book One, Part Eight. Paragraphs 141 to 163. As soon as the Lydians had been subjugated by the Persians, the Ionians and Aeolians sent messengers to Cyrus, offering to be his subjects on the same terms as those which they had under Croesus. After hearing what they proposed, Cyrus told them a story. Once, he said, there was a flute-player who saw fish in the sea and played upon his flute, thinking that they would come out onto the land. Disappointed of his hope, he cast a net and gathered it in and took out a great multitude of fish, and seeing them leaping, you had best, he said, stop your dancing now. You would not come out and dance before when I played to you. The reason why Cyrus told the story to the Ionians and Aeolians was that the Ionians, who were ready to obey him when the victory was won, had before refused when he sent a message asking them to revolt from Croesus. So he answered them in anger. But when the message came to the Ionians in their cities, they fortified themselves with walls and assembled in the Panionian, all except the Milesians, with whom alone Cyrus made a treaty on the same terms as that which they had with the Lydians. The rest of the Ionians resolved to send envoys in the name of them all to Sparta to ask help for the Ionians. Now these Ionians possessed the Panionian, and of all men whom we know, they happened to found their cities in places with the loveliest of climate and seasons, for neither to the north of them nor to the south does the land effect the same thing as in Ionia, nor to the east nor to the west, affected here by the cold and wet, there by the heat and drought. They do not all have the same speech, but four different dialects. Miletus lies farthest south among them, and next to it come Myus and Priene. These are settlements in Caria, and they have a common language. Ephesus, Colophon, Lebedos, Teos, Cladzomini, Phocea, all of them in Lydia, have a language in common which is wholly different from the speech of the three former cities. There are yet three Ionian cities, two of them situated on the islands of Samos and Chios, and one Erythrae on the mainland. The Chians and Erythraeans speak alike, but the Samians have a language which is their own and no one else's. It is thus seen that there are four modes of speech. Among these Ionians the Milesians were safe from the danger, for they had made a treaty, and the islanders among them had nothing to fear, for the Phoenicians were not yet subjects of the Persians, nor were the Persians themselves mariners. But those of Asia were cut off from the rest of the Ionians only in the way that I shall show. The whole Hellenic stock was then small, and the last of all its branches and the least regarded was the Ionian, 
for it had no considerable city except Athens. Now the Athenians and the rest would not be called Ionians, but spurned the name. Even now the greater number of them seem to me to be ashamed of it, but the twelve cities aforesaid gloried in this name, and founded a holy place for themselves, which they called the Pan-Ionian, and agreed among themselves to allow no other Ionians to use it, nor in fact did any except the men of Smyrna ask to be admitted. Just as the Dorians of what is now the country of the five cities, formerly the country of the six cities, forbid admitting any of the neighbouring Dorians to the Triopian temple, and even barred from using it those of their own group who had broken the temple law. For long ago, in the games in honour of Triopian Apollo, they offered certain bronze tripods to the victors, and those who won these were not to carry them away from the temple, but dedicate them there to the god. Now when a man of Halicarnassus called Agasicles won, he disregarded this law, and carrying the tripod away, nailed it to the wall of his own house. For this offence, the five cities, Lindus, Aeolisus, Camirus, Cos, and Cnidus, forbade the sixth city, Halicarnassus, to share in the use of the temple. Such was the penalty imposed on the Halicarnassians. As for the Ionians, the reason why they made twelve cities and would admit no more was, in my judgment, this. There were twelve divisions of them when they dwelt in the Peloponnese, just as there are twelve divisions of the Achaeans who drove the Ionians out. Pelini nearest to Sicyon, then Egyra and Egi, where is the never-failing river Crathis, from which the river in Italy took its name. Bura and Helici, where the Ionians fled when they were worsted in battle by the Achaeans, Aegeon, Ripi, Patri, Pharii, and Olinus, where is the great river Pyrus, Dime, and Tritii, the only inland city of all these. These were the twelve divisions of the Ionians, as they are now of the Achaeans. For this reason, and for no other, the Ionians too made twelve cities. For it would be foolishness to say that these are more truly Ionian or better born than the other Ionians, since not the least part of them are Abantes from Euboea, who are not Ionians even in name, and there are mingled with them Minions of Orchomenus, Cadmians, Dryopians, Phocian renegades from their nation, Molossians, Pelasgian Arcadians, Dorians of Epidorus, and many other tribes and as for those who came from the very town-hall of Athens, and think they are the best-born of the Ionians, these did not bring wives with them to their settlements, but married Carian women whose parents they had put to death. For this slaughter these women made a custom, and bound themselves by oath, and enjoined it on their daughters, that no one would sit at table with her husband, or call him by his name, because the men had married them after slaying their fathers and husbands and sons. This happened at Miletus. And as kings, some of them chose Lycian descendants of Glaucus, son of Hippolochus, and some Corcones of Pylus, descendants of Codrus, son of Melanthus, and some both. 
yet since they set more store by the name than the rest of the Ionians, let it be granted that those of pure birth are Ionians, and all are Ionians, who are of Athenian descent and keep the feast Apaturia. All do keep it, except the men of Ephesus and Colophon. These are the only Ionians who do not keep it, and these because, they say, of a certain pretext of murder. The Panionian is a sacred ground in Mycale, facing north. It was set apart for Poseidon of Helicon by the joint will of the Ionians. Mycale is a western promontory of the mainland opposite Samos. The Ionians used to assemble there from their cities and keep the festival to which they gave the name of Panionia. Not only the Ionian festivals, but all those of all the Greeks alike, end in the same letter, just as do the names of the Persians. Those are the Ionian cities, and these are the Aeolian. Cyme, called Friconian, Lerissi, Neontychos, Temnos, Scylla, Noshon, Egeroessa, Pitani, Egei, Myrina, Grinaia. These are the ancient Aeolian cities, eleven in number, but one of them, Smyrna, was taken away by the Ionians, for these two were once twelve on the mainland. These Aeolians had settled where the land was better than the Ionian territory, but the climate was not so good. Now this is how the Aeolians lost Smyrna. Some men of Colophon, the losers in civil strife and exiles from their country, had been received by them into the town. These Colophonian exiles waited for the time when the men of Smyrna were holding a festival to Dionysus outside the walls. Then they shut the gates, and so got the city. Then all the Aeolians came to recover it, and an agreement was made whereby the Aeolians would receive back their movable goods from the Ionians and leave the city. After this was done, the other eleven cities divided the Smyrnaeans among themselves and made them citizens of their own. These, then, are the Aeolian cities on the mainland, besides those that are situated on Ida and are separate. Among those on the islands, five divide Lesbos among them. There was a sixth on Lesbos, Arisba, but its people were enslaved by their kinfolk of Methymna, there is one on Tenedos, and one again in the Hundred Isles, as they are called. The men of Lesbos and Tenedos, then, like the Ionian islanders, had nothing to fear. The rest of the cities deliberated together, and decided to follow the Ionians' lead. So when the envoys of the Ionians and Aeolians came to Sparta, for they set about this in haste, they chose a Phocian, whose name was Pythermus, to speak for all. He then put on a purple cloak, so that as many Spartans as possible might assemble to hear him, and stood up and made a long speech asking aid for his people. But the Lacedaemonians would not listen to him, and refused to help the Ionians. So the Ionians departed, but the Lacedaemonians, though they had rejected their envoys, did nevertheless send men in a ship of fifty oars to see, as I suppose, the situation with Cyrus and Ionia. 
These, after coming to Phocea, sent Lacrines, who was the most esteemed among them, to Sardis, to repeat there to Cyrus a proclamation of the Lacedaemonians, that he was to harm no city on Greek territory, or else the Lacedaemonians would punish him. When the herald had proclaimed this, Cyrus is said to have asked the Greeks who were present who and how many in number these Lacedaemonians were who made this declaration. When he was told, he said to the Spartan herald, I never yet feared men who set apart a place in the middle of their city where they perjure themselves and deceive each other. They, if I keep my health, shall talk of their own misfortunes, not those of the Ionians. He uttered this threat against all the Greeks, because they have markets and buy and sell there, for the Persians themselves were not used to resorting to markets at all, nor do they even have a market of any kind. Presently, entrusting Sardis to a Persian called Tabalus, and instructing Pacchis, a Lydian, to take charge of the gold of Croesus and the Lydians, he himself marched away to Ecbatana, taking Croesus with him, and at first taking no notice of the Ionians. For he had Babylon on his hands, and the Bactrian nation, and the Saci and Egyptians. He meant to lead the army against these himself, and to send another commander against the Ionians. But no sooner had Cyrus marched away from Sardis, than Pacchis made the Lydians revolt from Tabalus and Cyrus, and he went down to the sea, where, as he had all the gold of Sardis, he hired soldiers, and persuaded the men of the coast to join his undertaking. Then, marching to Sardis, he penned Tabalus in the Acropolis, and besieged him there. When Cyrus heard of this on his journey, he said to Croesus, What end to this business, Croesus? It seems that the Lydians will never stop making trouble for me and for themselves. It occurs to me that it may be best to make slaves of them, for it seems I have acted like one who slays the father and spares the children. So likewise I have taken with me you, who were more than a father to the Lydians, and handed the city over to the Lydians themselves, and then indeed I marvel that they revolt. So Cyrus uttered his thought, but Croesus feared that he would destroy Sardis, and answered him thus, O king, what you say is reasonable, but do not ever yield to anger, or destroy an ancient city that is innocent both of the former and of the present offence. For for the former I am responsible, and bear the punishment on my head, while Pacchis, in whose charge you left Sardis, does this present wrong. Let him then pay the penalty. But pardon the Lydians, and give them this command, so that they not revolt or pose a danger to you. Send and forbid them to possess weapons of war, and order them to wear tunics under their cloaks and knee-boots on their feet, and to teach their sons lyre-playing and song and dance and shop-keeping. And quickly, O king, you shall see them become women instead of men, so that you need not fear them, that they might revolt. Croesus proposed this to him, 
because he thought this was better for the Lydians than to be sold as slaves. He knew that without some reasonable plea he could not change the king's mind, and feared that even if the Lydians should escape this time, they might later revolt and be destroyed by the Persians. Cyrus was pleased by this counsel. He relented in his anger and said he would follow Croesus' advice. Then, calling Mazarese a Mede, he told him to give the Lydians the commands that Croesus advised, further to enslave all the others who had joined the Lydians in attacking Sardis, and as for Pacchis himself, by all means to bring him into his presence alive. After giving these commands on his journey, he marched away into the Persian country. But Pacchis, learning that an army sent against him was approaching, was frightened and fled to Sime. Mazarese the Mede, when he came to Sardis with the part that he had of Cyrus' host, and found Pacchis' followers no longer there, first of all compelled the Lydians to carry out Cyrus' commands, and by his order they changed their whole way of life. After this he sent messengers to Sime, demanding that Pacchis be surrendered. The Simeans resolved to make the god at Brancidi their judge as to what course they should take, for there was an ancient place of divination there, which all the Ionians and Aeolians used to consult. The place is in the land of Miletus, above the harbour of Panormus. The men of Sime then sent to Brancidi to inquire of the shrine what they should do in the matter of Pacchis that would be most pleasing to the gods, and the oracle replied that they must surrender Pacchis to the Persians. When this answer came back to them, they set about surrendering him, but while the greater part were in favour of doing this, Aristodicus, son of Heraclides, a notable man among the citizens, stopped the men of Sime from doing it, for he did not believe the oracle, and thought that those who had inquired of the gods spoke falsely, until at last a second band of inquirers was sent to inquire concerning Pacchis, among whom was Aristodicus. When they came to Brancidi, Aristodicus, speaking for all, put this question to the oracle. Lord, Pacchis the Lydian has come to us a suppliant fleeing a violent death at the hands of the Persians, and they demand him of us, telling the men of Sime to surrender him. But we, as much as we fear the Persian power, have not dared give up this suppliant of ours until it is clearly made known to us by you whether we are to do this or not. Thus Aristodicus inquired, and the god again gave the same answer that Pacchis should be surrendered to the Persians. With that Aristodicus did as he had already decided. He went around the temple and took away the sparrows and all the families of nesting birds that were in it. But while he was doing so, a voice, they say, came out of the inner shrine calling to Aristodicus and saying, Vilest of men, how dare you do this? Will you rob my temple of those that take refuge with me? Then Aristodicus had his answer ready. Lord, he said, will you save your own suppliants, yet tell the men of Sime to deliver up theirs? But the god replied, 
yes i do command them so that you may perish all the sooner for your impiety and never again come to inquire of my oracle about giving up those that seek refuge with you when the simians heard this answer they sent pacchis away to mytilene for they were anxious not to perish for delivering him up or to be besieged for keeping him with them then Mazares sent a message to Mytilene demanding the surrender of Pacchis, and the Mytileneans prepared to give him for a price. I cannot say exactly how much it was, for the bargain was never fulfilled. For when the Simeans learned what the Mytileneans were about, they sent a ship to Lesbos and took Pacchis away to Chios. From there he was dragged out of the temple of city-guarding Athena and delivered up by the Chians, who received in return Atanius, which is a district in Mysia opposite Lesbos. The Persians thus received Pacchis and kept him guarded so that they might show him to Cyrus. And for a long time no one would use barley meal from this land of Atanius in sacrifices to any god, or make sacrificial cakes of what grew there. Everything that came from that country was kept away from any sacred rite. The Chians then surrendered Pacchis, and afterwards Mazares led his army against those who had helped to besiege Tabalus, and he enslaved the people of Priene, and overran the plain of the Meandrus, giving it to his army to pillage, and Magnesia likewise. Immediately after this he died of an illness. After his death, Harpagus, a Mede like Mazares, came down to succeed him in his command. This is the Harpagus who was entertained by Astyages, the king of the Medes, at that unnatural feast, and who helped win the kingship for Cyrus. This man was now made general by Cyrus. When he came to Ionia, he took the cities by means of earthworks. He would drive the men within their walls, and then build earthworks against the walls, and so take the cities. Phocea was the first Ionian town that he attacked. These Phoceans were the earliest of the Greeks to make long sea voyages, and it was they who discovered the Adriatic Sea and Tyrrhenia and Iberia and Tartessus, not sailing in round freight ships, but in fifty oared vessels. When they came to Tartessus, they made friends with the king of the Tartessians, whose name was Arganthonius. He ruled Tartessus for eighty years, and lived a hundred and twenty. The Phocians won this man's friendship to such a degree that he invited them to leave Ionia and settle in his country wherever they liked, and then, when he could not persuade them to, and learned from them how the Median power was increasing, he gave them money to build a wall around their city. He gave it generously, for the circuit of the wall is of not a few stades, and all this is made of great stones well fitted together. End of Book One, Part Eight Recording by Graham Redmond.